Welcome to The Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode five of The Innovative Mindset with Harrison Kelly. Today on the podcast, we have Matt Wyatt. After serving 25 years in various roles within the United States Air Force, Matt now helps businesses with leadership as a consultant for Chapman and Company. Today, he shares some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Thank you and enjoy. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy to have Matt Wyatt on for another special episode of the podcast. Matt, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. What better time to have you on for Memorial Day weekend as well? Uh, uh, Air Force veteran did a lot of time, so thank you for your service, and, and we'll get into that, and then talk a little bit about your experiences and at uh, Chapman and Company. So, uh, my first question: We'll get things rolling right out the gate. Here is uh, what made you decide to opt into the military? Was that what, when you joined? Was it the intention of being in it for just about twenty-five years? I saw. Or were you originally thinking just that first four? <laughs> and, uh, let's delve into right. that. Right. No, I like that. There, that's a great warm-up question. What, what led me to get into the military? And look, this is Memorial Day. So first, I want to say just thank you to uh, to the people that not only have served, uh, but for the Gold Star mothers, fathers, and for the people uh, that lost um, someone in uh, any of our nation's conflicts. Just I know it's a day of of memory, uh, of of uh, yeah, and of potential that that isn't with you anymore. And so just a heavy heart on a day when I know we spend time with family, uh, but to remember that. So thank you for your service. Uh, I, I wish there was a real romantic story here about my beginnings in the military. The truth was I just got really terrible grades in high school. I didn't care. And so I was like, I, I was, it was almost like the undisciplined kid. That's like, I need some discipline. And my father, I don't remember him being in the military, but he, well, he was in Vietnam, flew helicopters. Then he was an airline pilot. So I was never really around him when he was in the military. We didn't grow up in a military kind of family. Uh, my uncle had served in World War II and was a POW uh, in the German uh, campaign and European campaign, but not a real strong military Ben. I just kind of messed around in high school, living in Southern California, didn't get good grades. I thought, a myriad of things need to learn a skill need to have some discipline need to get an education and there was a serving country component to it but i don't want to make it out to be like here i was as some 18 year old who thought about serving a nation no not, not really i think it was more just i need to figure out something to do with my life uh and so I ended up going i had to, i'm so embarrassed i had to look it up i got my first duty station was little rock arkansas and I was like, I think that might be in the South. Like, I had never traveled to the South. <laughs> a Southern California kid, man. That was, that was a culture shock, I got to tell you. But, I can uh, imagine. Yeah, and, you know, your question about, or do you think about staying for a full career? No way. My gosh, I was, and this, is, this will come back, but I think when we think about our different programs, we bring people through. I went through Air Force basic training. It was miserable. And I don't mean miserable like, oh, you got yelled at. It was a terrible time. I expected all of that. It's just that when I graduated, I thought the last thing I am is inspired to serve a country. The only thing I thought about was I need to get my education and get the hell out of this place. This is <laughs> like, you just treated people terribly. And then I thought, what's the point? Like everybody was a volunteer. And so we'll get back into it. But one of the assignments that I chose was to run boot camp for the Air Force. Because I thought, well, why would you treat people terribly if they actually literally volunteered? Um, and you want them to be inspired to serve afterwards. There's got to be a better way. And so they're actually, spoiler alert, there is, um, but there's no 
there's no other good story I can tell you other than I went in, I had a mechanical aptitude. I had uh, been working at some garages and forged my birth certificate to, to work before I was age 15 in California. So the statute of limitations is up on that one. But, uh, and so the Air Force put me in as an aircraft mechanic uh, starting out. So I did, uh, did that for four years while I was going under and getting my undergrad in uh, industrial engineering. So. Wow, super interesting. Uh, I think it's a great, great thing that you are so open about the fact that you just kind of struggled with school and it wasn't really your thing. Uh, it's important to remember now you're obviously you're a leadership consultant and you're you're helping businesses make incredible, <laughs> incredibly important decisions. So it just goes to show that sometimes people are kind of on their own path, you know. And just because you don't have everything figured out at 18, doesn't mean it's the end of the world, you know. People come around at their own right. pace and their own time. And, right, to all the, and the to all the parents out there, right? That. Yes, and to all the parents so out there, you're just like, hey, parents, it'll be okay, right? Like, I did terrible, terrible in high school. Like, I don't even know if I had enough credits to graduate. And now, and I'm not, this isn't the bragging thing. Like, I wish I had applied myself because I could have gotten into better colleges and, and uh, applied myself a little more. But I ended up with, and I know it's terrible marketing, like, wow, you did terrible in school and now you're a consultant. Well, along the way, I got three master's degrees, and so I've, I've tried to apply myself and make up for lost time, so let's tell you. And yeah, in all honesty, it's like I graduated from college a, a year ago, and, and my GPA yeah. wasn't bad by any means, but <laughs> honestly, neither of the jobs that I've had since graduating cared about my GPA. I think that world right. experience and getting those things under your belt and having things learn outside of the classroom rather than in a textbook is that hands-on approach goes so much further. So I don't think GPA yeah. should be too, too correlated to, to success in the business world necessarily. That's true. That's true. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so something clearly changed from that, that mindset of I got to get the hell out of here to, <laughs> I think I'm going to stick around. So what really, I guess you switched, you said to being kind of a leader of boot camp, and, and you felt a, a sense of belonging when you did that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of time in between, and I, I won't go into too far of this because I think probably for your listeners, I do want to transition and say, well, here's uh, what can you distill from the experience that is transferable, portable to other team environments, right, from a leadership perspective. So but my military career, I was enlisted for four years just working on airplanes, uh, transport kind of aircraft. And at the end of it, got my education, had my undergrad degree, and applied for officer training school, and was at the same time making plans to leave and to start a career in like environmental kind of engineering. It was kind of the forefront starting of, not I wouldn't say the environmental movement, but I would certainly say college is getting more serious about programs where people went into the environmental sciences or engineering kind of field. And so I was looking at doing that, and the Air Force uh, accepted me for... Uh, for officer training school. And I remember this, this day, my wing commander, his name was uh, Colonel Wax, W-A-X, Charles Wax. And he was, I'd never met him before because as a, as an aircraft mechanic, just turning wrenches, you don't, you don't meet all, all of the leadership. And this guy was the number one guy commanding the entire base. And I applied for officer training school. It was right between, I believe it's right. It was right between the Bush had started, uh, Bush, the first President Bush had started drawing down the military. President Clinton was just coming in. The military was undergoing already, this isn't about politics, the, the military was already undergoing uh, a large reduction of force. And I was applying to be an officer. And he called me in, and Colonel Wax calls me in, and it's a nice, like, hot day in Arkansas. And I'm just, I'm off the flight line. He's got all his windows open. I'm looking around his office. I've never been in there. I'm like, and this is pretty nice. It's a lot nicer than sitting on the flight line where it's just blazing hot and loud and everything. 
and he said, Hey, I reviewed your application. You know, you're, you're a good guy, et cetera, et cetera. He says, but I gotta tell you, your chances of getting in are really small. Like the Air Force is taking hardly anybody. And so your chances are almost none. And I said to him, well, I ran the math and I realized that my chances are better if I apply. And he started laughing and he goes, okay, all right, I'm, I'll put the, I'll put in an application for it. And I got picked up for officer training school and then spent 20 years because then I enjoyed it a lot. You know, you have a lot more choice for, at least for me, everything from working in uh, the United Nations as a peacekeeper in West Africa uh, in 03 and 04 for Liberia, some deployments in Afghanistan, some stuff in Saudi Arabia as a business advisor, um, working with nukes, with the satellite systems, all kinds of different jobs. I kind of bounced around and, and enjoyed that time because uh, a lot of the different ideas you could impart. So, that's crazy interesting. And as we, before we get into more of like the business technicality stuff, something that I, per, I'm personally like an avid fan of traveling and, and seeing new places. Uh, would you mind delving in a little bit on some of the biggest things you took away getting to travel from place to place and spend a couple years in different cultures completely? Uh, maybe, you know, in this, this, I, I'm going to start to relate it back to like any of your listeners from an entrepreneurial standpoint or from starting a business or starting a business in side of another business, like, like uh, from the work that I've done with my other colleagues, the, the one driver I have found of people who are very effective in walking into different circumstances are the people who are insanely curious. So curious to the point that I'm not walking in thinking, why would you ever do that? I ask the question, why does that happen? Or what do you think about it? Like asking questions about someone's life, about how they've grown up and connecting with them as a person, our best foreign service officers, whether it's in the State Department or the U.S. military, they are insanely curious. And the skill of curiosity is asking a lot of open-ended questions. Tell me more about that. What led to this? Uh, and so doing that, I think, was the, for me anyway, learning. And whether I, whether in the end I'm judging whether that's good or bad or I like it or I don't like it, all those kind of questions allowed me to understand another person's lifestyle so much easier and faster. My probably my favorite assignment was definitely in uh, living in downtown Monrovia in uh, in Liberia and West Africa, and we didn't live on a base; we lived in a cinder block uh, kind of hut, if you will, with uh, with one person that we had hired to kind of watch over the vehicles at night when we slept, and no running water, no sewer, no electricity. Man, you really start to understand. Uh, the connection between people owned a monkey. His name was Jack. Still miss him. <laughs> like that was wow. great times. But when I think about travel and adventure, it's always much. I remember the places without a doubt. But what I really remember are the connections and the people, uh, and and kind of understanding their life and what they were going through. Whether that was in the Middle East or in uh, in Africa or other places, that's what I really take about and enjoy. It's so true. And I've always been the same kind of way where I'm asking a lot of different questions, hence the, hence the podcast. But uh, yeah. something that you touched on that I really want to hit home on is just embracing new perspectives. So even within your own home, I think especially these days, people are kind of set in their ways and oftentimes don't want to hear other people's opinions. I don't think you necessarily need to agree with someone to hear what they have to say. And I honestly think doing that and hearing the opposing opinion is just going to help you to better articulate your own thoughts. So I couldn't agree more. I think that there's a, uh, there's a concept of acceptance does not equal agreement. I can accept whatever your political views are. I can accept uh, how you choose. I can accept all of those things and still not have to agree. As soon as I get into the degree, it really starts to serve. I'm trying to serve myself. 
does this meet uh, what my standards are? It's so strong for us anyway at the Chapman Co Leadership Institute. It's our number one first value is seek to understand. Then the second one is show up to serve. Then the third one is make it better. But I'm going to start with, I need to understand everything you have going on before I start throwing solutions or suggestions or giving you advice or perspective. Then I want to start with, I need to get inside your world and understand it. It's so true. And I mean, I do SEO marketing. So a lot of it is just going on to people's websites and implementing effective changes. But how am I supposed to implement and change landing pages if I don't have a complete understanding of the full aspects of the business? So it's another great point. So whether in personal life or within a business environment, yeah, asking those questions and having the full scope of where somebody's coming from is imperative. Uh, So a, a great point. And, and before we really get into Chapman and co, I would love to ask if, it, and it, it'll definitely tie into Chapman, but I would love to hear yeah. what some of your biggest takeaways that were applicable in the military that have transferred nicely over to, to being like a business leader and a business consultant. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna, I was thinking about this beyond, beyond saying nothing good happens after about 2 AM at night. I was thinking about <laughs> <laughs> just, just decide to go home. Just stop. <laughs> if someone says, let's go to the next place. No, it's 2 a.m. It's just, just yeah, stop it's it. over. It's bedtime. It's never, I've never, I've never said yes to that. And then been, after the next day, been like, that was a great decision. Yeah. There's future, a future Matt always gets mad. That's right. Okay. So beyond that in a more serious part of this, so this applies, I probably had I can't remember how many career fields I delved in with the in the military, but probably at least nine different to include running boot camp, right? So all of the, we would call them technical instructors or basically drill instructors, DIs, right? People leading a group of young men and women and putting them through a boot camp or basic training to join the U S military, regardless of whatever it was, or whether I was working with nuclear weapons or whatever it is, there is some really great open source information. I'm going to quote, uh, this was Google's project. It's called project Aristotle. Uh, they called it this because Google was trying to figure out the premise was we get a lot of really great talent that comes to work for Google. We pay a pretty good top of the market. They're in a nice part of the world. We just do it. I'm not advocating for Google or saying they're a good company or bad. I'm just saying, here's a company that spent a lot of time and money trying to understand if that's the case, if I have a really good, solid, talented population, why is it that some of my teams are highly effective and some are not? In other words, they have a high engagement, they have low turnover, they meet the requirements for quality and timeliness and budget, all of those things you might think about. What was the deriving factors that led to effectivity or not? And this is all open source. We just literally Google Project Aristotle. You can get all of it. There's no charges, no website of that kind of stuff. What they found was five attributes of really, really effective teams. And I use it both in the business side, but I've also noticed it was very prevalent in the military side. Uh, number one, this is an order of priority. Number one was psychological safety. Um, I feel okay to take interpersonal risk. How this shows up is not just vulnerability, like everybody's sitting around a campfire singing John Denver songs and crying. It's not that kind of BS stuff. I mean, it's real. I need help. I can tell someone I don't know. I can tell someone I have an idea. I can tell someone I'm worried about this. That kind of interpersonal risk. That was number one determining factor. Number two was dependability. Can you get your job done? Number three was structure and clarity. Do I understand what my job is and the jobs of other people? And if I do a good job, how does it impact them? And if I do a bad job, how does it impact them? Number four, and I know there's all kinds of writing about, you know, making the world a better place and meaning and that kind of stuff. 
Number four, though, was meaning. And it was that it means something to the person personally, whether that's um, saving the manatees or whether it's I'm earning a lot of money for my family. It was meaning to that person. And the last one was impact. And impact not being, again, like in the world, it could. But what it means in this sense is I know that whatever my actions are, it advances the goals of the organization. So the five attributes were psychological safety, I can ask for help. Number two, I can get my job done. Number three, I understand what my job is and other people around me. Number four was it was important to me. And number five was I can see that I'm making a difference. Those are the five attributes. So if I'm looking at throughout my military career and my business career, I would say those are the five things I focus on and those are the five things development programs should work on and the five things that your whole HR system kind of surrounds around. And you can get it all open source. Go check it out, read it. It's some great stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you said before, whether you love or hate Google as a company, there's a reason that they're able to consistently attract that great client yep. or that great uh, team of people. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that, yeah, they make it a place that you want to be able to work at the, the gorgeous, the gorgeous campuses, the fact that Fridays you have the opportunity to explore your own projects and things like that. Uh, it does give people that sense of I'm making an impact and a sense of, all right, they clearly are putting some faith in me to give me this leeway to kind of explore and pursue avenues as I deem fit. So I, I think that goes a long way and has really set the tone for the more modern business. Yeah, and let's put the construct into I'll put the construct into a military unit. If I if I have a group and they're going to be working with live ammunition, the first thing I want people to be able to say is, I'm concerned, I don't know, I'm wondering how this works. I don't care whether you've been trained or not. I want you to be able to speak up when you see something that's going wrong. Number two, I want you to be able to do your job. That means dependability. That means I'm training the heck out of you to make sure you know exactly what's happening. Which, which end of the weapon is the business end and which one is the safe end and how this whole thing works. I want you to understand your role in this whole thing and where everybody else is. And then I want you to believe in what we're doing and I want you to see that you're making a difference. All of those things. And I could, I could transfer that right into a sports team. We do a lot of consulting with professional sports teams, NFL and NHL. Same thing, right? I want to know that you can ask for help. I want to know you can do your job. And I want to know it's meaning and impact. So those five attributes can be really powerful across any medium, across any industry. It's super cool. And I think it's, I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you had worked with the NFL and I was like, that is crazy interesting. Are you working with the management of the team? Are you working with the higher level people of the team? Like what is, what does that entail working with the, the professional sports teams? You know, with professional sports teams, uh, my work ends up being with the, they call them the business operations side. And so when you think about that, it's really interesting. They're, their whole world is predicated on a group that they're not interacting with. So if it's in an NFL, a business group that works on selling suites tickets and, and running the entire operations of, you know, 70 something thousand people coming in on any given Monday night, Thursday, or Sunday, or hopefully a Saturday, Sunday, if you can make it to the playoffs. And yet I don't impact whether the team wins or loses. And so how, is it that we're working together as a group and a team and we feel like we're highly effective regardless of what the score on the Because I have to operate by a different scoreboard and that's the business side of things. And so that's a part where it's just a little bit different. So typically uh, I'll do work with more on the business operation side of things. 
That's crazy interesting to me too, because when you think about it, like indirectly, they are an imp- are impacting the, the team. Because I mean, if if you have empty stands at this stadium, uh, it's a lot. Uh, like lately, these days, with with uh, my dad watches a lot of soccer, seeing these stadiums that can fit a hundred thousand yeah. people with no fans, like the fans are a big component of how successful the the athletes right. end up being. Yep. And, and wow. vice versa, right? So if you want to sell a bunch of tickets, well, when the team does well, you can sell a lot of tickets because winning takes care of a lot of things. Cold hot dog, not really good beer, don't care. Team's winning, having a great time. Right? All of a sudden, team's the worst in the league. I'm going to complain about everything. And so it's really an interesting uh, – and I love sports from the inclusivity standpoint. We do some inclusion work, and I think about, like, sports and music are the two areas where I see, regardless of your walk of life, who you are like instantly you're friends with strangers and now they're faced with with this social distancing with COVID how do we get back into in about three months I think the NFL will start in September well we're going to put 70,000 people together again in close proximity that's a challenge so they're they're working through all of those issues I know the NBA is just talking about starting up uh, the NHL is trying to salvage a season so all of those things Formula One one of my passions it's just starting back up in July, I think, without having people in the stands. So a lot of changes coming up. Definitely. And I'm curious to see how it impacts a lot of the players since, you know, some of these, especially some of like the superstars, especially something like the NBA where so much of it is dependent on like the top performing players. It's going to be interesting right. to see like a guy like LeBron not getting all the glory of like thousands of fans cheering him on, you know, it'll be, it'll be strange to see, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, at least a good sign that we'll have sports back. It's been kind of a rough, uh, rough few months. <laughs> I love sports from a, from a team dynamic standpoint, both in the business side and actually watching what happens on the field. And I think it's one of the things I miss the most from this whole COVID thing is uh, the inability for ESPN Sports Center to actually bring up like relevant news and culture, but also just to see. Uh, and I think at, at its pinnacle, sports is the very best of, of the human advancement. How we work together. Uh, who we cheer for, all of those things, how we come together, compete, and then also come together in an even broader sense. So it's something that I truly miss, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I'm excited to get it back. And it's true. Yeah. If you, uh, Another takeaway from a business standpoint that I think is applicable, it's like if you're in the right mindset, you can learn valuable business lessons from watching a sports or watching sports or listening to music, uh, having that self-reflection stuff. And it kind of ties back into that psychology thing that you were talking about. Uh, if you yep. think about it in the right way, like there, I've learned so many and been inspired by so many people in, in things completely unrelated to digital marketing that I'm doing. So you saying that definitely yeah. ties into that. There's two, um, two really quick examples on this. So oh, I have a branch in, um, the Chemnick Leadership Institute has a branch over in South Africa. And so last year, the South African rugby team won the, the World Cup, which is just an incredible feat. And they beat one of the best teams in all of sports, and that is the All Blacks from New Zealand. Well, the All Blacks, so you go, well, what can I learn from sports? Well, I tend to be more in where business gets done, and that's a lot of times in wherever your meetings are, whether your group or whether you're trying to communicate kind of information or plans for the day. So one of the, one of the, the characteristics or, uh, or almost traditions of the All Blacks are some of the most senior players clean up the locker room afterwards. When you think about how do I dissolve hierarchy lines to where someone who's brand new feels extremely valued and that their opinion matters, in business, I see this a lot where, and in the military, it's no different, 
I have a very structured organizational chart? And does the brand new intern feel comfortable talking to the CEO? And likewise, does the CEO, does she or he feel comfortable talking to frontline leaders? Um, and so in sports, you see this a lot where veteran talent can come in and really bond with the brand new kind of rookies, but not in a hazing way, in a way that's much more welcoming. And I think the All Blacks are a really, really great example of a team that comes together just about every single year uh, to make that happen. Yeah, that is super incredible. And I mean, my, my school did a good job of teaching us pretty progressive forward thinking as far as human resources is considered. And one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that that horizontal business structure rather than a vertical business structure will get you way farther. Because a lot of the time, just because somebody's like on the lowest end of the totem pole doesn't mean they might not have a valid point that the CEO hadn't even considered, you know? So allowing right. that sort of open door policy where your average Joe who just came on board can go make a recommendation or a constructive criticism to a CEO can end up with some, some of the most incredible changes and innovations that a company possibly has ever seen. Yeah. And this is where a lot of the inclusion work comes in. People are like, well, why would I want to invest in like diversity and inclusion work at this point? Cause yeah, these type of issues, when we have, where we're in unprecedented times, definition, meaning I do not have a record of this happening before. Therefore I'm having difficulty predicting what outcomes can happen. These are, we're in adaptive change land. Adaptive changes are usually filled by the people closest to the clients or customers seeing the different problems they have and coming up with solutions themselves. So if I want that to happen, I need to get the voice of everyone that's around. And so this is why inclusion in these type of uh, situations are really, really key because you can get some of the better ideas. And the military, man, just to say this, it was no different. Like we wore our org chart on our uniforms. Everybody knew what my rank was by the badges I wore. They knew what I had been through, where I had gone. And so now all of a sudden you associate, you know, longevity rank with intelligence. And I'm living proof that those are not necessarily directly correlated. Like, so there are, and so two, if you're asking you know, the original question was, well, what are some of the things you've learned in the military that you can transfer to business? Well, one is um, don't always speak first. Because as soon as if I'm the leader and I'm speaking first, there's a lot of times that I can influence or cloud or steer the arc of the discussion toward what I'm going to say. And so there are times that I will speak first if I'm trying to set a direction, but if I'm looking for ideas, there are a lot of times where I'm first going to ask some questions. In the military, there were times that I would, and I didn't have to work hard at this, but there were times that I would literally be like, I'm just going to say something stupid to see if we're going to follow me. And like, at what point are you going to realize I don't have all the answers here, my friends? Uh, and so it wasn't that hard to, to act dumb for me at times, but uh, there is a strong prevalence of this. I do want to mention there's, I'm going to bring this back to COVID real quick in healthcare. There's been two cases. One, I was working with this hospital and this doctor said, uh, right before he would go into this open heart surgery, he'd say, uh, I want you, everyone, before we go in, my name is Doug. If you have an issue, you see something come up, call, call me Doug. I don't want to go by doctor. The number of times that the team around him, his surgical team, would bring something up compared to when he didn't say that. He was like, it was so interesting. And I don't know if you notice it now, but in healthcare where you're literally saving lives, they found that one of the reasons sometimes people won't bring something up is they don't know the other person's first name. And they don't want to say something like, hey, you. And so this is why you see on, on doctors that are brand new teams, they'll write their name on the scrub caps. And so this is why you see a lot of those names is so that people can identify with the person. Um, the last point I'll make in this and turn it back to you is when I was working uh, in Afghanistan, so General Stanley McChrystal, 
he was really great at this. Instead of having a giant, basically, uh, it, it's the defense equivalent of a Zoom platform, but a communication platform. He was really great about not calling people by the function or by the location, you know, operations in this side. He would know people's names and just call them that. I would highly advise for any business unit when you're having these type of Zoom meetings or Zoom calls, rather than saying, okay, marketing, what do you have? Okay, over to operations, over to engineering, it becomes Jim or, or Sally or whatever the first name is, makes a difference. It's right back into that Google project, Aristotle, and psychological safety and trust runs right in that lane there as a really highly effective team. Definitely. And uh, it, it really ties into like that sense of belonging. So not having that fear of like a hierarchical difference yeah. is huge. I um, I actually had a phone call this morning with a, a good friend of mine who who's starting an app for people who are relocating in businesses. So uh, she started as a B2C thing for people that are moving from one city to another to get more acclimated. But a bunch of businesses ended up approaching her and said, we want to turn this into a, a business to business app functionality so that people that we relocate end up sticking around because one yeah. in three people, she said, will move to a new city and they won't feel any sense of belonging, not sure where to go, not sure where to hang out with. And then they end up leaving after a year and this costs these companies like a hundred thousand dollars. So it, it, it all ties back into feeling whether it's in your personal life or in a business, having that sense of belonging and feeling like you're, you're worthwhile and contributing something, it's yep. absolutely essential. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I need to check out that Google Aristotle thing. It sounds it sounds pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So one thing, oh yeah. So uh, I would love to hear a little bit about, so you ended up leaving the military after 25 years. Uh, how did you kind of make the, how, did you know that you wanted to get into business consultancy or was that another thing that kind of just fell into place? The Air Force is a, uh, it's a very, if you looked at, let's, let's just say that the main services in the military. So I had the opportunity to serve with all of the other uh, branches of service to include the Coast Guard. I did some time at the Pentagon as well. And I was in the joint staff where you bring together all these different services to advise the Secretary of Defense and the President. And so I had a chance to work with all of them. The Air Force tends to be, not all of the areas, but tends to be more on the technical side. And so I recognized when I was in highly technical jobs, what I really gravitated toward was the people component of it, how people work together. So whether it was in, uh, I worked on the satellite system for a global positioning system, the GPS. So the Air Force flies that constellation, puts it in the orbit, flies it. We were doing some software, basically some software updates on the ground control, uh, control system for this thing. And I just recognized that each time I took a job based on location or based on what I thought would advance my promotion faster, I actually didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was dealing with people. Hence my move back into basic training. I don't know, I've got all inspired by Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. I thought, well, that was the worst experience I had in my Air Force career. So I just go back there and kind of work on changing that environment and doing the best I could being a commander in basic training. Afterwards, I ended up running a small think tank for Air Mobility Command, uh, about 137,000 uh, person organization within the Air Force. And so they flew all the transport, all aeromedical evacuation, all air refueling. And I was working for the four-star there. And he asked me to take a, a popular author and speaker, Simon Sinek, who wrote the book Start With Why, into Afghanistan. So I, it was one of my side uh, jobs 
took Simon into Afghanistan on the way back is where he started writing the book, uh, Leaders Eat Last. It comes from a saying, the military officers eat last, meaning my job as a leader is to serve my people. And I ran a small TED speaking event. The only one that's been done externally from the, that blended the DOD and the civilian world. And so we had really great people like, uh, and we had everybody from slam poets to artists, to engineers, to military folks. Like it's a really, was a really fun event. And some of the talks that are out there are really powerful. Uh, the ones I would recommend are one by a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Mike Drowley. His call sign is Johnny Bravo. And he talks about, he's an A-10 attack pilot. He's still in the Air Force today. It's a fantastic TED talk. I would watch it. It's just a really great talk on leadership and humility. Um, David Marquet got his start uh, doing this work, and so he's the author of Turn the Ship Around. He has a beautiful talk on, uh, on his leadership. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met on the concept of leadership. And so I was already doing all of this kind of leadership development within the military, uh, and TEDx for the military was a complete side kind of project. I was just doing it at night and enjoying it. And my team then that I was leading there uh, was then involved, and so we ran this. And so when it came time to leave the military, I was under just being promoted again, and I was going for uh, to be sent to school for another master's program. And a lot of things were happening, and I just had met this this character named Bob Chapman, who runs Barry Waymiller, where it's a capital goods manufacturing company, about three billion in annual revenue. So we are all over the world, and we make everything you might find at a grocery store. It'd be hard to pick one single thing off of any aisle and it not be in some way either filled or capped or bottled or pasteurized or conveyed or packaged on one of our machines. We're mainly a B2B company. And he mentioned, he said, hey, I think we're, we're thinking about writing a book and starting a university and we'd uh, be interested in you joining the team. And so we kind of worked on that and I ended up, that's how a, a kid from Southern California that gets really lousy grades in high school ends up uh, doing a podcast in his basement in the Midwest of St. Louis. Is This is where the company's headquartered. And so uh, we made the move and we wrote the book, Everybody Matters. It's written by Bob Chapman and Raj Sisodia. And unless you think this is a plug for you to buy a book so we make money, it is not. All the proceeds from the book sale goes to, uh, goes to charity. Uh, you can find documentaries online for free and all that kind of good stuff. So we did that. And then uh, business partners and I started the Chapman & Co. Leadership Institute. Uh, to just primarily focus on external companies. Barry Waymiller is a collection of about 110 different acquisitions around the world. And so we're constantly working on bringing people into a culture uh, and not necessarily assimilating them, but helping them become a really great company. We've never sold a company we purchased. And now Chapman & Co. Leadership just works 100% with external companies, from sports teams to airlines to all walks of life in between. It's crazy fascinating, and I, I think it's so cool that, that you got to work with Simon Sinek. I actually saw him speak in Manhattan, and he, he was incredible. What a sharp guy. And then obviously, obviously, Mr. Chapman is doing pretty impressive things as well. So it sounds like you yep. guys have some great things going on there. Uh, one of my biggest questions would be working with solely external businesses. What are yep. some of the most common challenges that you find businesses tend to face? Uh, you know, this one is becoming more prevalent because of the heightened sense of stress, anxiety, uh, un, kind of into the unknown. And it's a little challenging because people are, will always ask questions like, what's the one thing that a leader needs and all this kind of stuff? And I'm like, well, the one thing a leader needs is more than one thing. Like, uh, it, But if we were to just say, what's a common, what's a common thread that weaves through that we help with? the ability for organizations to communicate in a way 
that not only sends the facts and figures, the logical side of things, but since you're dealing with humans, the emotional component of this as well. So if we think about, we'll just do a quick exercise. What you think about, um, what you think about your mind has a certain amount of emotion to it and a certain amount of logic to it. And I'm simplifying these things for reasons since we're on a podcast. But I have these two areas, let's call it, and I want to think about a Venn diagram where it's just two circles. And to some extent, they overlap. The overlap portion between a very logical mind and a very emotional mind, we'll call it the wise mind, if you will. All of us default somewhere. Like my default, if I was just to say, well, how do you approach life and problems really quick? I would say, oh, I'm definitely more in the logical circle. Like I come from the land of Spock. Like tell me what the numbers are, tell me what the data is. My undergrad's in engineering. Like I like, I love numbers. I love the data. Uh, and I'm and I'm not so much on the emotional side of things. So if I'm going to communicate something, let's say it's a new strategic plan, um, an emotionally intelligent communication where I can get people to buy into it is going to take into account what is the data, what are the numbers, what's the reason for it. It's also going to take into account the emotion. And that's not just what other people might be feeling and telling them it's going to be okay. That's actually not emotional. What I want to do is I want to say the strategic direction, here's how I personally feel about it as the CEO, as the department lead. Here are other people's perspectives that we've considered. Here's how I believe uh, the empathy piece. Here's how I know you're feeling about it because I've asked you. And here are the ways we're going to move forward. Not that it's going to be all better, but that's a communication that's more emotionally intelligent that allows people to buy into whatever the change that's going to happen. I know that's like truncated change management, but so much what I see right now is how organizations are communicating to their people in a much more just factual, here's what it is, here's what we're going to do. And people are like, wait a second, that's really hard for me to get behind as a human because I come with a lot of emotions. I have feelings, I have concerns, needs, fears, dreams, hopes, all of those things. Uh, And you can get your team to move a lot faster and a lot more buy-in when you're considering all of those things. Absolutely. And we live in this weird paradox these days where technology and business is just rapidly innovating like never before. And yeah. But at the same time, it's like you still have to consider these employees and the people that are affiliated with the business acclimating to all these changes that are happening. Like, all right, we, we pivoted here last year. We're pivoting here this year. It's it's a lot to handle for as one individual. So that emotional intelligence is super imperative in, in making sure that people are on board and, and willing to adapt to the changes. Yeah. And maybe for some of, you know, for some of your listeners out there, maybe like, okay, yeah, I heard it before, got it. And it's like, okay, got it. Emotional intelligence. Maybe here's a really quick example you can run with your team, regardless of how large it is. So I'll use like a polling software, like a Mentimeter or something like that. You can get a free version online to get people's input, or you can just have a conversation. Ask people what is a word that inspires them. Inspire means that uh, I literally want to do it. I, I have an urge or a feeling to do something, believe in something, lean forward to something. This is why for an entrepreneur, they don't know the difference between weekdays and a weekend. Like I'm just doing what I love doing. It's my passion. Okay, so if I just ask the rest of my team, however large it is, we ran this exercise with, I'm not can you over 100,000 leaders I've ran this exercise with. Ask them to sit, think of a single word that inspires them, any word. Have them write it down in a little sticky name tag or have them put it into a Mentimeter, an online polling device. Have them think of a story that articulates why they chose the word they did. The word that you will see come out is going to be family, care, love, challenge, team. It'll be any one of those. That's the number one word you're going to see that people put down. 
you'll see a whole bunch of other words like overcome, you'll see nature, you'll see son and daughter's names, you'll see father, you'll see mother. What you will not see is market share, profitability. Uh, any, any words that you have to measure your business by, they will not come up. Occasionally, you will see the word money. If you ask the person for a story, 100% of the time that I've asked this question for anyone that puts money and that the word comes up less than 1% of the time, the first thing they'll say is, we didn't have a lot of it growing up. And I'll be damned if my family is going to want for anything. It's not that they're inspired by money. They're inspired by the options money provides. The reason I bring this up on the emotional intelligence part is when you're communicating, if you're trying to inspire people with, here's how we're going to become profitable. Here's how we're going to increase market share. Here's how we're going to quote unquote beat the competition. It doesn't inspire them because it doesn't inspire you. And I've ran this too many times. I would fully admit that is how you check the health of your business. It's like the dashboard of a car. I have to be measuring it. I'm going to set goals against it. Absolutely. But when it comes to, I want people to believe in what I'm doing, I'm going to try and link it back between people serving other people. It's what we love. It's what we're inspired by. It just is. On a Memorial Day, we're not talking about the great strategic plans U.S. military has input on Memorial Day. We think of those people that sacrifice themselves for whether we believe in the politics or not. We, we hold Memorial Day to be dear because someone sacrificed for someone else. That's what inspires us, and that's what inspires people in business. There was a lot of words there. Sorry, man. No, no, no worries. The the points you hit home on are, are so imperative, and it is so fitting for today to be Memorial Day because it's so true. And I really, I have a lot of admiration for you taking a second to to shout out the family members of these people as well, because even though they weren't out there in Vietnam or wherever it may be, they were facing a lot of the challenges of their family members being out there. So being conscious of that and thinking about the emotional aspect of all the things that people have to face as a result of it are, are so crucial. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's super important. And, uh, I, I agree. I think, I think we're getting to a point now where people are starting to kind of be less like macho, like you have to work nine to five and do it this way and that way. Whereas they're more so, how can I motivate you to, to be the happiest you can be? Because the happier you're going to be, the better performer you're going to be. So I'm, I'm super thankful to be growing up at a time that, that that is the case now. Yeah, and just to say this, look, I'm super thankful. I, I mean this honestly, not only to be a guest on your podcast, but also if we're talking about generations uh, and Gen Z and Gen Next, whatever we're calling this, like uh, I love the shifting of the workforce. These are these are people that are in the workforce now, and they're like, "Listen, I I want a job that I'm going to be able to grow in, that I believe in what we're doing. And if you're not going to offer that to me, I'm going to go find it somewhere else." And you can call them a flight risk, or you could call them an incredible asset if you know how to treat them right. Because I would want the same thing. We're just a better informed generation from all the technology that we have, and there are better opportunities out there. And I think um, the inclusivity of the youngest generation, they are much more apt to take on um, differences, to learn about differences, they're much more entrepreneurial. And so I love the shifting of the workplace. And think about, like, we talk about the evolution of, of people of, of, or systems. Think about the number one thing that seems to be talked about now. Yes, business surviving, but look at the, the, the arc of the narrative of this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, people would just be talking about how are we getting the share price back up? Now we're talking about that and how are we saving jobs? Like we're looking for heroes. We're looking for the Danny Myers from Shake Shack who are giving back the money, who are trying to find ways to keep their people employed. We're looking at personally somebody I follow is a Mark Cuban 
who says, I'm going to find ways to keep my part-time employees from the Dallas Mavericks employed. I'm going to find ways to do this. Uh, I'm going to find the creative ways and to share my learnings on LinkedIn. I mean, these are people that we revere now versus just the, who's the CEO that can make sure the share price gets back to where it should be. I'm not saying that's not important, but all the stakeholders, that's an incredible conversation we're having. And I would offer it's driven a lot by the younger generation who wants something more than just to see a bottom line. Absolutely. And, and one of the big things, another, another lesson that I learned in school that I thought was super fascinating was uh, back in the day, a lot of people would get their first job out of college or if they didn't even go to college, they would make a career out of wherever they wound up. There's less of a, there's less of that integrity to the point where someone feels that they need or company loyalty, I should say. People don't really feel that way anymore. So now the companies have to step up and figure out, all right, well, if somebody's willing to jump ship because another opportunity that better aligns with them is going to occur, how can we make it so that our values align with theirs and we can keep them around? So it's, it's an interesting proposition and it's not an easy adjustment for these companies, but I think it's good that they're being more conscious of, all right, people aren't going to just stick around because we gave them a job now. What else can we do to deliver the most value to them? And it, as a result, have them create the most value for us. Yeah, there's more, I think, in the current uh, environment and, and where we are, there's more to life than just the paycheck. And I think loyalty runs both ways. Um, I think what organizations are learning now is, uh, I think Richard Branson has probably the best quote on this. And he said, you know, tr- uh, train, uh, train people like they can leave and treat them like they never want to. And I think that's a really uh, great idea is treat your people as well. And maybe in some cases you're going to have a revolving door, but I want the revolving door to be so, um, it's so prevalent and it's so advertised for the people leaving my organization that they're literally my ambassadors, right? So all these companies running net promoter scores of who's out there talking positively about you. Well, the way that you treat people and the way that you treat them on the way out, whether I have to let them leave because performance reasons or they found a better opportunity, uh, if they're going to be your ambassadors of how they're talking about your organization and they're going to advise and they're going to give you some really great people and we're no different. Uh, we have an engineering consulting uh, practice inside of Barry Way Miller called Design Group and they do engineer manufacturing lines and we'll have a higher turnover in that area. And the way we treat people is they leave so that they recommend uh, other people to come work for us matters. I think you know uh, platforms like Glassdoor are a good example of this. You'll get the high and low ratings of that and that gives you a good indication of how you treat and that impacts your turnover rate and who you get coming in the door. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, (laughs) There's no need to take it personally when somebody leaves. Uh, I think that's very important to say. I've been in some situations where I like put my two weeks in and somebody was like, you like, they give you attitude over and it's like, I'm not going to recommend somebody to jump into your business because I'm leaving. If you're going to be so nasty about me choosing to find an opportunity that's better for me. So Another yep. super insightful point. You're uh, you're good at what you do. You're you're chock full of wisdom here. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I'd like to give you just a second to to say any final thoughts or promote anything that you're working on or would like to to share further details on. You know, uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Not necessarily to promote. I will tell you if you go to ccoleadership.com, uh, go to our resources page. We, it's none of it's gated content. You don't need to put it in an email. We're not going to heat up on a sales kind of call. You can go in there and grab all kinds of recorded videos. We're running free webinar series all the time. Uh, we have opportunities to grab some tools that you can use for like making decisions when everything is urgent and important. We'll bring in some military construct of the Eisenhower decision matrix. 
These are all things you can download, use with you with your team, work on. If you want more information on Project Aristotle, we've got a recording of our uh, How to Build an Effective Teams webinar. Again, ungated, free content, ccoleadership.com. Go to our resources page, grab anything you want there. The last thing I'll just mention as we, as we transition from Memorial Day back into our workplaces and we're thinking about and I know we have this wide variety between essential businesses, people who are still uh, on the front lines working. We have these businesses that are right now probably in some sense of transition. Do I go back into the office environment or go, am I getting a chance to kind of rebuild and rethink about the business? There's a really effective tool. I, I don't know a name for it other than I would just call it control influence can't control. And so this is another tool you'll see on our website. It's not ours. It's, it's, I think it's open source. If you Google this, you'll see it all over the place. But it's basically that when you're thinking about making these decisions, I put, a, I put the center of the bullseye is what I can control. It's absolutely 100% in my control. Typically, this is a very small circle. It's pretty much my attitude, how I show up, um, what decisions I personally make. That's in the control bucket. On the very outside ring is can't control. These are things that I cannot negotiate. I don't talk about. Like it's just, it has to be done. In a business, this would be uh, paying taxes. It would be the weather. It might be the global economy. Like these are things I just don't have. Everything else that you're thinking about fits in the influence. And influence is about relationships. And relationships are about how I interact with another human being. And so when I think about from an entrepreneurial standpoint, whether you're starting a business, whether you're restarting it, whether you're rescoping it, I'm focusing on that influence piece and using this tool from any really big decision you're making can help break it down into where are we spending our time and where should we be spending our time? And so I would just leave with probably that one, control influence can't control. And you can find all these tools on ccoleadership.com, all free, ungated. And I really appreciate you having me on today. I really do, it's been a blast. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And and anyone listening, I could not recommend checking out their site more. They got a lot of a lot of super intelligent people like Matt sharing some incredible insights. So check out those webinars and, and Matt, thank you again. Hey Harrison, really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to episode five of the Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform that's YouTube included for the video version of the show so that's apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and spotify as well don't forget to follow on instagram and connect with harrison on linkedin thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one